0: Bobby Seale when he divulged that we were being infiltrated by the FBI. Well, that made a lot of Black Panthers nervous. And a lot of uh, uh, Black Panthers lost their lives because of it, possibly even being falsely accused. And uh, I didn't want to have any part of that. And so, and then there was this thing, they had a thing called Goon Squad. And some uh, Black Panthers were visited at night by this goon squad and roughed up for one reason or another. Well, that, that was it for me. And so, if they were going to come for me, let them come because I was ready. Jesus, land if they live righteously.
1: It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and uh, this is going to be an episode that will, I am sure, be a favorite of many. This is something that uh, I can say we have not ever talked about here in The Cultural Hall before. Um, there will be uh, a, a story of love and a story of passion, of priesthood, of anger, of violence, of prejudice. Uh I'm sure that Ed will tell me other things that we're going to talk about uh, within this, but I'm so honored to finally be able to bring into the cultural hall, Ed Willis. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, uh, Ed, if that name sounds familiar to you, uh, authored the book Panther to Priesthood, which you can be able to get from our friends over at Deseret Book. They were the ones who made the connection for us to be able to have this interview. And very simply, there is a link in the show notes. You can just click and purchase that book. But I, I am anxious to hear your story. Sometimes when we have these episodes of the Culture Hall Ed, we talk about a particular um, like part of the gospel or a doctrine or a curiosity that some people have. But I feel like your life has so many uh, applicable lessons. Um, th- things that members of the church can learn from, things that you can reflect that you've learned from. That I'm hoping that I we just get to kind of extrapolate that out of the story of Ed Willis. If you're willing to share,
0: well, you know, as you as you were talking, I was <laughs> I was thinking that uh, I believe that the Lord had tried to reach me so many different times <laughs> in so many different ways. And uh, the the only thing that really stuck was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and even then, um, as I think back, there were times when um, the aspect of that church was tapping me on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Starting back when I was seventeen, when my mother called me and she was very excited and wanted me to come over and see something, and uh, I, I wasn't that enthused, but you know, I, I I went anyway, and she had these brochures, these glossy brochures, and uh, you know, she she didn't explain before she handed them to me, and I I was looking through them, and I saw what looked to be like twelve bulls with a big bowl on their backs, <laughs> and uh, she uh, had gone to a an opening at the um, temple in Oakland. Okay, and uh, I just was, Mom, what what is this? But it turned out that many years later, um, before I joined the church, my wife uh, took me and uh, this was in Southern California. That first thing with my mom was in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the East Bay at Oak. Uh, actually, we we were in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. next door to Oakland, and uh, my wife had taken me to the Los Angeles Temple grounds to the visitor Center. And uh, I I didn't recognize, it was all of these beautiful pieces of art, other than art that depicted the Christ, uh, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the names, uh, Nephi and Lehi and these different uh, paintings uh, that represented these characters in the Book of Mormon. But it was one painting that I did recognize. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was these my wife corrected me. They weren't bulls; they were oxens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And it made me flash back. Oh, okay. But even then, while I was in the visitor center with my wife, I didn't. I didn't get it. I said, "Are you trying to convert me?" <laughs> she said, "No. Uh, I'm just actually, we weren't married at that at that point." Uh, She's saying, "I was just trying to let you know what I'm about." Yeah, I said, "Oh, okay," um, but I had become born again years before, when I lived in Hawaii.
1: Okay, okay,
0: and I remember uh, I, I played in a contemporary Hawaiian band called David Song. Okay, and um, what, do you, what do you play? Well, I played woodwinds and percussions. I played uh, in that particular band. I played flute. And I played, uh, you know what kunga drums are? Yeah. Right? Or uh, any other percussion instruments. Um, uh, so w- ap- after church, we would usually practice. We actually were nominated for a Hoku Award That's something that is sort of like their South Pacific uh, Grammy <laughs> Awards. But we were nominated and went to this big televised event But one day after church, and as a matter of fact, two of us, me and the drummer, we went to one church, the engineer and the lead singer, Kim Char, they went to a different church and the bass player, he went to another church. Hmm. All churches uh, confess Jesus Christ, but we were thrown together and uh, we did some good work. Um, but one one day after practice, we were all going to our respective vehicles, and we were all sort of moving in the same direction, and I was ahead of the crowd. And I saw these young men in white shirts and ties with these black badges, and they were coming towards me. And uh, <laughs> my friends behind me in the pidgin dialect, the Hawaiian pigeon dialect, tried to tell me. Don't talk to them. <laughs> and I said, "Why?" He said, "Oh, they're, they're Mormons, brother." He <laughs> said, what are Mormons? I, you know, I think I had heard uh, the the term before, but didn't know anything. Yeah. And so I said, "Well, who are they?" He said, they said, "Oh, bro, they want cult now." Yeah. They one cult. And I said, oh, "What do they do?" Oh, I don't know. they didn't know what they did you know so uh that's what i mean like just there was been times that i feel like i've been tapped on my shoulder
1: um let let me ask you this let's dial it back a little bit further uh give me an idea how old are you i hope that that's not a rude question i'm 75 years old 75 so if i'm doing quick math that tells me you're born in 1948 is that right? 47. 47. Okay. So yet to have a birthday this year. Uh, but the world and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, entirely unrecognizable to, to people today than what it was in the time that you were born. I think largely, I mean, sure the places are, 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 still the same. Um, but, uh, like culturally, Certainly, you know, an element of the priesthood within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, completely different than how it was. Uh, civil rights, that's prior to civil rights, that would put you as a teenager in everything during civil rights. So, so, so take me back to uh, the young Willis household and what faith was like. Obviously, that this time, not a member of the LDS Church, but what was faith like in, in your home? Something discussed, something that was open?
0: Well, not really but it was sort of assumed um uh, let me be clear about that i was um, made to go to church okay i it was it was uh uh a
1: requirement if i'm reading right it's a physical requirement that you were gone to to church exactly is that right yeah
0: you got that right and uh but what was interesting about it is I was the only one that went. Hmm. My, my mom didn't go, pops didn't go, but I had to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I wondered what why is it that I'm the only one that have to go? But now whenever we would go to Texas to visit my grandmother, everybody went to church, <laughs> okay? And, and, and uh, make no bones about it either. Yeah.
1: Okay. were you told we always go you tell grandma that everyone always goes all of the time if she asks you ed you make sure that you tell her that we all go all the time well
0: unfortunately no i I wasn't uh made to tell that field
1: (laughs) so then obviously uh a a christian tradition i'm assuming that you were raised in
0: yeah um my mother was raised methodist i would i always went to baptist church okay um And that's why it was just conveniently there, you know. Sure. Whichever community we were staying in, and it was usually predominantly a black community, and uh, uh, it was interesting. uh, Back during those times, I believe I mentioned it in the book. (laughs) They had what I consider two forms of uh, preaching. It was fire and brimstone sure. uh, preaching or Underground Railroad preaching.
2: Okay.
1: I'm not familiar with the Underground Railroad preaching. I'm certainly familiar with the Underground Railroad, but what does that mean? The Underground Railroad preaching?
0: Well, back in, during the time of slavery, they used to pray, of, uh, and the Lord will deliver us 12 midnight. And it was really a signal to those whose, whose turn it was to escape the oh. plantation okay and they would they would uh uh they would preach it with a like a deliverance message and it literally was a deliverance message but it was done that way it was kind of a code so that the slave master or the bosses of the plantation wouldn't understand what it was about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh so not only was it a Form that caught on into the black church, but also southern white churches as well. Hmm. So basically, there was really no teaching done. Yeah, you know, it was uh, uh, emotion emotionally uplifting. You know, um, getting people's lather up the the under uh, the um, uh, brimstone fire and brimstone preaching um every i hated that because i I knew i was going to hell (laughs) no seriously i mean i i had no hope i mean uh that lie i told my mother or that uh my mother said no candy before dinner and i snuck a piece of candy. all of those things condemned me yeah you know and and anything else i can think of you know so uh Whenever we went to Texas, I had to sit next to my grandmother. I don't know why. Yeah. But uh I I used to really squirm because yeah. in, in Texas, they really laid it on thick. Mm-hmm. And I would squirm, and she'd grab me by the ear and twist my ear and say, be still, boy, and listen. Yeah. You know, well, I didn't want to hear that. I was I was toast far as he was concerned, you know, so um uh, so, so it wasn't you- very much so strategic. when you
1: get when you get the chance to uh kind of make your own choice right if I'm if I'm following timeline 47 65 66 means that's when you're kind of coming of age as an adult uh is it a thing where you're like no thanks religion I get my own choices now I'm you know I'm gonna go about and do these other things or were you convicted because of a belief in Christ and just needed to find a home or what was that period of your life like
0: well, in that period of time, um I, I didn't like scrap Christianity or the message of Jesus Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Number one, I didn't really understand the full message, but I did believe the message. Mm-hmm. I did believe that Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. I didn't know that I was gonna be able to be qualified for it
1: though. Hmm. So, like so the, the I, grace had, the grace and pardon? redemption, the grace and redemption part of Christ was what was well, sort of missing. It,
0: Exactly. Okay. And so I, um, I had done so many things at this point that, uh, I just didn't feel like I was in the running. And so, um, uh, I was looking for an identity as a, a black person, because there were so many things that kept us from doing that. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, growing up, uh, up until my teenage years, we as a people, uh, Americans of African descent, uh, didn't have any dignity in um, our ancestry. In other words, like Africa uh, on, on television, Africans were always depicted as uh, cannibals mm. or, you um, they want to do some harm to white people. Um, and they would make these sounds like boolabo boo. And that's the sound, and so Tarzan would have to come and save everybody, or Jungle Jim, or, or the great white hunter would have to come and check. And so we had no dignity in this. This is how the African people were depicted to us. Sure. When they did have a very rich Um, uh, and dignified history. Uh, So anyway, uh, many of us, if not all, were looking for dignity. Many of our parents grew up uh, being taught that we could not look somebody that was Caucasian in the eye. Mm -hmm. You know, where my mother was teaching me that I should look every man in the eye and Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of looking a person in the eye because of whatever color they were. So Mm -hmm. she, you know, I think that's one of the reasons, in fact, not I think, I'm sure of it, from my conversation with my mother, that's one of the reasons why her and my father left the South and looked coming to California for a better way of life, um, supposedly. But anyway, uh, by the time I had reached my teen years, I had begun to hear some things from uh, people like Malcolm X. Well, actually I heard about Malcolm X before then. Uh, uh, One time in the late 50s, I remember uh, my parents, uh, well, it was my mother and some neighbors, uh, uh, adult black people gathering around the television. It was black and white TV then. Mm -hmm. And my mother calling me I was just outside the house to come in the house, to listen. And it was this man, which was Malcolm X, who was saying things that was unheard of for somebody of our race to be saying, mm-hmm. being broadcast on television. And, uh, many, many comments came in. Oh, they're going to kill him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? So anyway, um, it wasn't me disking religion it was i just didn't think that i was going to be able to participate because of uh, uh, my attitudes my actions um and and just the trouble i had gotten in along the way you know
1: mm-hmm. so so you're you're talking about uh looking to kind of find this home this identity is this where uh your affiliation with the the black panthers comes about
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, excuse me, um, Wanda and I...
1: Wanda is your wife?
0: Yes, Wanda is my wife. Um, She got introduced to the Black Panther Party uh, at a separate time. Uh, Bonnie Pointer of the Pointer Sisters, of that singing group, the Pointer Sisters, they went to school together. And Bonnie Pointer invited her to a rally at their high school. Now, Wanda and I went to the same high school at one point in time, and then she went to a different high school because she she moved to a different location. Mm -hmm. But uh, me, I I was uh, in Berkeley. Across the street from my high school was a park called Provo Park. And at that park, many, excuse me, that was my wife.
1: You're fine. Hi Wanda.
0: Wanda, he says hello. <laughs> hello. She says hi. hi Hey And so um, I, I, I was in a I might might as well get into the weeds at this.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Some things simultaneously started happening. I was being threatened by the draft. okay. Now what was really interesting before I was threatened by the draft, Vietnam, I tried to join. Hmm. So you see, there's a the the way of thinking was night and day. So me trying to join, me and uh, four other friends of mine went to enlist. Okay,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. we're going to be John Wayne and Audie Murphy. I don't know if you know who Audie Murphy is. Of course, but he was a real war hero who became an actor. You know. And we were going to be these heroes that were always depicted in war movies in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if they were white, that's okay. We were going to be that. But uh, two of us, my friend uh, Robert and myself, uh, they didn't take us. One, they said I had uh, too much sugar in the blood and I had to go through some tests. Robert had flat feet. Hmm. So um, he was not allowed. So I had to go through these tests. Now, while I'm going, these tests took about two months. Okay. And I would have to go to this clinic in Berkeley, not far from where I lived, just in walking distance. But in the meantime, Provo Park would have these rallies. It would be um, anti-Vietnam, it would be the Peace and Freedom Party, the Black Panther Party, and, and uh, I would hear all of these interesting takes on our relationship as a people, not just black people, people in general, sure. um, about uh, how our country has shortchanged us. Now that was usually the message of the Peace and Freedom Party <clears throat> from Jerry Rubin, who was Caucasian. He was uh, a hippie type. Mm-hmm. Um, But then the message about how we as a people, Americans of African descent, who have not had access to the American dream are to go and give our lives for people who have treated us in such a way. And we were going to go and confront and potentially kill other people of color who have done nothing to us at all. Well, if you keep hearing this, not only do you hear this across the street from your high school, but they have these rallies at the the University of California at Berkeley, Mm -hmm. which is about a half a mile up the road from my high school. And, uh, And then there was another one, People's Park was a gathering place for a lot of people and a lot of marijuana smoking, and uh, beer drinking and stuff like that going on. And Provo Park was also a place where Country Joe and the Fish would play a rock and roll band, Purple Earthquake, you know, and you get some rock and roll in there. And so you would always hear this type of anti-war, reverse racism or anti-racism theology. Yeah. And so uh, after a while, I started reading some books, you know, Malcolm X Speaks, uh, uh, Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, which was a Huey P. Newton recommended book, and uh, uh, Racism in America and other uh, literary materials. And oh yeah, uh, uh, End of White World Supremacy by Malcolm X. And some others, and I start finding out, number one, how much of a contribution people of my race has made to not only America, but the world. Yeah. Now, I wasn't taught that in school. Sure. You know? Um, And so when you begin to educate yourself and you start wondering, what do you have to do to gain access you know, now I did recognize that this wasn't always the case for everyone who was black. Sure. And in many and in many unfair circumstances, many black people who were middle class or upper middle class were um, called Uncle Toms
2: mm-hmm. or
0: Oreos, you know. And so it was quite a conflict in, within the black race as well. There was a conflict between Blacks who were lighter skinned and Blacks who were darker skinned. And so there was a whole lot of transitions that people of African descent had to get through amongst themselves, let alone deal with the uh, oppression of of a ruling class. So religion, uh, it wasn't enough room And I wasn't trying to make room for something that I already felt I was disqualified for.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, I want to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, I want to pick it up right where we're at. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. I had an email from someone who listens to The Cultural Hall. I believe it was a, not a lifer, but a convert, who said, hey, Richie, are you still teaching the podcast classes? And the answer is yes. In fact, I have even fine-tuned it more than I ever had before. So you might be asking, well, Richie, how do I get in on that? Well, you can always email contact at theculturalhall.com, or you can find me on social media wherever I'm at, Richie T. Stedman, and reach out and say, hey, I listen to The Cultural Hall. I would love to learn more about podcasting or your podcast services, a class, a cohort. There's a group of people. I've even taught uh, the Ward Historian about podcasting, what it is and how it might be a great benefit to people. If that's something that you're interested in, whether it's for your business or just for your private hobby, maybe something you see your future in, would love to be able to help you along the way. You can find me again, anywhere on social media, Richie T. Stedman, or you can uh, just contact us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Let us podcast together. unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit
0: LennonDesign.com.
1: Here in the second block of the cultural hall, remember that if you are not a Patreon saint of the cultural hall, you need to be. You go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall, and that's how you're going to be able to see the video of this recording. Now you're thinking, well, why would I want to see the recording? Well, Ed is a handsome gentleman, and (laughs) you can see over his shoulder, he's got a copy of his book, When He Was Even More Handsome, if you can believe it, a picture of the front cover of his book, and and various other books that I always, uh, I see that you have a book about ice cream, which lets me know that you and I would be best friends. Oh, definitely. So you got a patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Now, Ed, uh, I think people, because of media, I would imagine, Hollywood, when they hear Black Panther... They they sort of, you know, there's a vision of leather jackets and, you know, fists and guns in the air and, uh, you know, all sort of. And maybe that's just Hollywood dramatization or maybe that's what it is. But what what is the Black Panther Party or what was it when you were a part of it? Well, I, yeah,
0: I, I'm glad you phrased it that way, because I can't tell you what the Black Panther Party is now. But I can tell you back then it was fist raised, It was guns. I stockpile weapons, by the way. And uh, it was black leather jackets and berets. Um, It was uh, a um, revolutionary guerrilla warfare-minded organization. Uh, It was militant in that sense. The media during that time uh, depicted the Black Panther Party um, as uh, blacks who wanted to kill whites, which wasn't the case at all. We weren't Um, uh, reverse racism, we were political, a political organization, and our platform was political. Um, The Black Panther Party had allies, which were uh, the Peace and Freedom Party, which were predominantly white. They did have black members and Asian members and Hispanic members, but they were predominantly white, and they were our allies. Uh, the if, if you'll
1: forgi- if you'll forgive the crudeness of the question, but allies in what? Like, what was the, what what were we going for at this time? Well, is it uh, human rights? Is it equality? Human, it- human, human rights. Okay.
0: Uh, uh, the um, Peace and Freedom Party was believed in human rights, and they were against racism against black people or any other people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were also anti-war, anti-Vietnam. Okay, so that was basically their platform. And in many instances, like when uh, we were having uh, rallies that might have been at San Francisco State, or some place inside, some of the film equipment would come from the Peace and Freedom Party. Okay, uh, they would lend us a hand whenever they could. So I meant allies in that way. Okay. We, we, we had um, similar interest okay, Uh, and and similar desires for particular types of changes in our government. Um, But the Black Panther Party, um, they were the first organization that started a breakfast program for children, okay. They had um, legal representation for people in the community. They had, uh, there was a health clinic that they partnered into, uh, in West Oakland that um, uh, helped uh, many of black community uh, residents address some of their health issues hmm. and, and got help and medication uh, and counseling for those uh, different types of things. Um, they had um, a, a, a assistance to the elderly because there were some elderly that needed help getting groceries. They made sure they got that transportation To and from where they they needed to get to and back home safely. Uh, They they had all kinds of uh, programs in the community to become um, self reliant. Hmm. And so, but they still demanded a lot of things uh, from the government um, uh, pertaining to a better well being for the community. Now, the Black Panther Party also policed the community.
2: In other words, there were, a yeah. lot
0: of, yeah, there were a lot of situations where Black men particularly, there were some instances with Black women, but the majority of the instances were with Black men where police officers would harass and sometimes the life would be lost or they would be in, in the hospital hmm. uh, with, chained to a bed or handcuffed to a bed. Uh, So Black Panther Party members like myself, we were to be on these scenes and document um, the circumstances and if possible, read the name badge or the, the number of the badge, the number of the car and stuff like that. Now, some, some of those instances, <laughs> Black Panther members didn't happen to me, thank goodness, but it would end up being arrested just because they were taking notes sure. to these different confrontations. But believe you me, because this existed, we had less um, aggressiveness uh, in the eyes of the public. See, because a lot of times this used to happen uh, not in secret.
1: You know, sure, just white it out in the open. It, it's a it's a similar thing. It's a crude comparison, but how uh, bad actors are forced to behave now even more because of cell phones and and people instantly recording things. And it, it's correct. A, it's a bad comparison, but the Black Panthers would show up and be like, "Hey, 17952, You know, Officer Jenkins, uh, right, was who was on the scene and being able to to report and to record that and. and and it would often end violent with, again, this is just the perception that that comes uh, from from what I know about the Black Panther Party for media. Was it was it often uh, an altercation, physically uh, violent with the Black Panthers Panthers when they would when they would show up, when they would be present on the scene? Or is that just what I'm led to believe?
0: Well, uh, yeah, at first. But let me tell you, one of the one of the. Uh, I could say the straw that broke the camel's back for me because a lot of different individuals were trying to recruit me into the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. I was more of the hippie style guy, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but um, I, I just didn't feel like I wanted to commit to it at this point, but there was a situation Wanda and I, we weren't married at, at that young age. I was 19 and she was 18. We mm-hmm. lived on the corner of Princeton Grove. Grove Street became Martin Luther King Way Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, about a mile from us was the Black Panther headquarters. And one night, several Oakland police officers. Now, we were in Berkeley But across the line in Oakland was the Black Panther Party shot the whole building up, riddled Mm -hmm. with bullets everywhere. Now, you know, I I happened to know at that time that every now and then there could possibly be a Black Panther who would be uh, crashing there on site for whatever reason.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, I don't know if they had that information or if they even cared. The action that they took it it was seeming like uh, people who didn't care what was in the building. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that horrific act is what made me decide to join. Mm. But I had to address one issue because of the reality of how serious the Black Panther Party were about guerrilla warfare. Was I willing to die for these causes? And the answer happened to turn up, yes. Hmm. And when that answer came up that way, I joined. And the captain of the Black Panther Party, David Hilliard, was the one who enlisted me, the Minister of Education, George Murphy. He was my mentor. And he introduced me to the Red Book of Mao Zedong. And it it went on from there. Uh, But, um, it was a lot of violence, but it, it began to cease as time went on. But still, you would have your individual situations that would happen here or there somewhere in the Bay Area. Or uh, it, it spread after a while. It got to be about 42,000 members. Wow! And there were also sympathizers, you, you know, who are friends of these members who had no problem participating. But from my last recollection, it was about 42,000, uh, not just in the Bay Area, but in Seattle and in Chicago, uh, where Fred Hampton, that's where he passed away. Fred Hampton started in California, but ended up in Chicago. Uh, we believe that the FBI was responsible for his death. But now, now let me say this. <laughs> let me just back up with
2: something.
0: Okay. okay. When I, I grew up, I, I was born in Oakland, but most of my childhood years were spent in Berkeley.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The, those cities were night and day. There was a, a, a diversity in Berkeley that really didn't exist that well, and o- Oakland was more colonialized, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Berkeley was not that way. There was no ghetto in Berkeley, yeah. okay? Where you can find a few in Oakland, <laughs> okay? But now in Berkeley, there was these two police officers. One was uh, Officer Rounds, and another one was Officer Officer Radcliffe. Both were white. All the kids that I knew that were black, that knew these guys, loved these guys. Mm -hmm. Okay, These guys, they would pull up in their car uh, and get out and throw the football with you Mm -hmm. in the street.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Or if we playing stickball, they would join in. And Officer Rounds would always have a bunch of phone books in the backseat of his car because this guy was so massive and strong, he would do his demonstration where he would tear the phone book in half. <laughs> you see? yeah. These guys eventually, when I became a teenager, they became detectives, both of mm-hmm. them. But they were they were beat cops then. And, and so we didn't have... Uh, we didn't start off with this negative idea about police officers you you see what i'm saying Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: so not all uh berkeley oakland richmond san francisco and other surrounding area police officers were as abusive as those who would uh, enact violence upon people in the black or brown communities
1: so, so let me ask you this. Your wife is a member of the Black Panthers as well. And at some point, you guys get married and leave Black Pantherdom behind. What, no. What is it that you didn't leave it behind? No, we didn't get married. Oh, you didn't get
0: married. Okay. No. Um, we were, uh, I actually had bought the rings, as a matter of fact.
1: Oh, come on, Ed. You just had to ask a question. If you had the ring, what was, I'm just giving. Well. You
0: you know, we 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 split up. Okay, we split up, and I, my wife had uh, quit the Black Panther Party sometime before me. Uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, bad things done um, toward young younger black females,
1: mm. and from, from within the organization, is that is that what you in mean? the organization?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you see, one of the things that back in those days they had pimps Mm -hmm. and pimps would have and they would be black and they would have black women on the street yeah and so this was spoken against by black panthers and they were depicting black women as our queens and that they should be treated as such and so this ideology became quite favorable Mm -hmm. but as time went on my wife began to witness things. Uh, but see, the Black Panthers didn't have a screening process. You had people who joined the organization that had access to grind with white people. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what, what white person, just they were white. They were the enemy. Uh, the Black Panther Party was started by highly educated individuals. Some of them had PhDs. True. Sure. Okay, And so, the, like I said, this wasn't a race thing for them, this was a political thing, uh, socio economical thing, but it wasn't a race thing. Yeah, and so um, a lot of people who joined the Black Panther Party didn't have um, sort sort of like a, a, a high the high end of thinking uh, about what they they you know because Black Panthers was a symbol of dignity. Sure. it was some uh, something to be respected. Mm-hmm. You know. And now it was a lot of apprehension at first by some of the older black people until mm-hmm. they began to see um, the seeds that were sown.
2: Sure,
1: sure. You see, so 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 then, what was it that made you decide to uh, to leave it behind?
0: Well, one thing. Let me say this. Okay. In reality, we were really just looking for a part of the American dream. Access yeah. to the American Dream. Yeah, and though it was run by intelligent individuals, some sometimes they couldn't agree on things, like Elrich Cleaver. Um, but think about this: How can you acquire the American Dream based on a foundation of communism and socialism? Yeah, how does that work? Yeah. And then uh, there was evidences of Black Panthers killing other Black Panthers. Hmm. There became a very high sense of paranoia in the organization. In fact, I was in a secret meeting. Uh, I put it in the book as a matter of fact, with uh, Bobby Seale, when he divulged that we were being infiltrated by the FBI. Well, that made a lot of Black Panthers nervous, and a lot of uh, uh, Black Panthers lost their lives because of it, some some possibly even being falsely accused, and uh, I didn't want to have any part of that, and so, and then there was this thing, they had a thing called Goon Squad, and some uh, Black Panthers were visited at night by this goon squad and roughed up for one reason or another. Well, that, that was it for me. Yeah. And so, if they were going to come for me, let them come. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I was ready. Yeah. Now I illegally uh, bared arms. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was. I was not a. Uh, I was. I didn't have the the rights to carry. Sure. So to speak. Sure, But uh, that now I believe when Wanda left from being uh, upset about what was happening with the girls, because she was more into the nurturing aspect of the Black Panther Party, Sure, the nurturing uh, young girls, young women or the children, you mm-hmm. know, feeding the children, stuff like that. Me, I was into the more of the guerrilla warfare thing, uh, stockpiling weapons and waiting for. And, and the other thing was they had a slogan, the sky is the limit. What that meant was Huey P. Newton was incarcerated for the death of a police officer. And uh, the the slogan was the sky is the limit was meant that if Huey was not released or convicted, which he was, and later on he was released, that the guerrilla warfare was gonna take place. And so my instructions, or all of our instructions were, if that was to happen, we were supposed to report to our section leader. My section leader at the time happened to be a guy from Southern California who was underground. For whatever reason, he had gotten involved in something in Southern California. He was now in the the East Bay. And so anyway, when Huey was convicted, I had some friends over some friends who were not members of the party but who were sympathetic to the party. And the first thing they said, well, what are you going to do? Well, I immediately started. I loaded a weapon put on my field jacket, my boots, and asked them to give me a ride to my section leader's house. Hmm. And they did. And I told him to wait. I went, knocked on his door, and I said, I'm reporting for duty. And he said, oh man, just be cool, be cool. I said, what, be cool? I was ready to go to war, Richard. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about being cool. And so all of those things accumulated together. And I went back to the car and they said, what did he say? And I told him, he said, be cool. And they said, be cool. What does that mean? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Take me back home. Yep. So we went back to my house and I uh, told Wanda what happened. That was the last, my last uh, participatory thing with the Black Panther Party.
1: I want to take another break. Uh, When we come back, I want to, um, there's a particular question, timeline with me, and your intersection with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that I would just like to ask you, I have have curiosities about. uh, We'll come back, we'll do that in the third block of the cultural Okay. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the cultural hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the cultural hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event, or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to Best DJ in Utah com. You can get a brand new PC laptops, desktop, and they start at only $29 a month here in the third block of the cultural hall. Remember, you can always send us an email contact at the cultural hall.com. If you have a great suggestion of a guest, or if you just want to say, man, I love Ed Willis so much. You could put that in an email and send it over to me. Contact at the cultural hall.com. So, uh, so, so, there is no sort of, I don't have any sort of agenda in this question, but I am curious. I I have this sort of curiosity uh, about members of color and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and particularly this time, the 70s, before the priesthood ban was lifted, and quite frankly, afterwards. Your engagement with being um, so, um, I, I'll use the word aggressive, but maybe that's not the word I want to use, but it's what's coming to my mind right now. Um for people uh, of color, with the Black Panthers, and then an, an organization like the church, who up until 1978 said no thanks, um, black people. W- you know, we-, we love you, we want you here, kind of, but we sort of have this, this nuanced, racist kind of uh, practice and history. How 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 were you able to? get into that? How did you, how could you get past that? How can you get, and I mean it, and I don't understand it at all, but how can you get past it to be like, okay, I'm in, let's do this. Okay. Well, um, and I I saved the easy questions for the end.
0: (laughs) No, no, actually it is an easy question, but it's a very interesting one. The answer. Uh, Number one, I had no idea about racism towards black in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. None. All I know is after all of the uh, wreaking havoc over the earth that I did, I came to a point where I cried out to the Lord, painfully cried out to the, the Lord in repentance because my life, no matter what I, whether I was a banker or uh, administrative director of a corporation or digging holes for phone Polls, which I did all my life, didn't amount to anything. I had all kinds of experiences uh, playing music, you know. Um, but anyway, when I cried out to the Lord, it, it's pretty much like Alma thirty-five when he thought in a repentive state, and you know he he was racked with pain because of the sin that he committed mm-hmm. in his life. Well, I did it verbally and I was by myself and it was in the dark of night, but I actually felt God, the presence of God embraced me and I cried like a baby. That's when my life turned around. And so it's a long story, but I eventually got reunited with my childhood sweetheart, which was Wanda, who I had known since I was in the fourth grade. (laughs) And... That's how I got introduced to the church. But I didn't know anything about the racism thing. I was happy that, see, and I knew with that repentant night, I made a pledge to God I was going to follow him. Mm -hmm. And I was just following his lead. And I literally was doing that. And I had this great joy in doing it and just dropped everything, you know. And so... I found out one night, listening to my wife and sister-in-law about some of the stuff that they had been subjected to. Mm -hmm.
1: Within the church, is that what you mean? Within the church. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, what was interesting is before uh, the All Worthy Men came up, my wife, she was working with um, Britt McConkie. He, I think, was mission president in the Los Angeles area. And it was this black uh, pastor's conference or something. And he wanted Wanda to be the liaison between them and the church to kind of introduce them to the church. Mm. Anyway, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. But there was one guy. And this is written down, too, because I... I was at one of the McConkie family's house and they have a lot of literature on the family. And this was in there that a Reverend Rufus, he was the one that wanted to look into it. And Brent McConkie befriended him, uh, especially during the holidays. um, And as a result, Reverend Rufus his wife and all of his kids and 20 parishioners joined the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This was before the proclamation about worthy men. So my wife was all in, uh, just before the proclamation was made. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. It could be just before, just after. I think she, uh, I think she joined in 77. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, I don't want to give you any false information. But um, now, Wanda had no idea, Wanda, my wife, or my sister-in-law, that there were black saints. Mm. Now, like I said, you know, when I joined the church, that was it for me. It was glory, 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 (laughs) you know? Uh-huh. But then I found that in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what I call glory after glory after glory, and it keeps happening. When I they came to me with this ironic priesthood, I said, What? Who, me? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they came with the Melchizedek priesthood. I said, Oh no. I said, What you know, I know God don't make mistakes. I don't want to question you, Lord. But <laughs> me, you know, and then I became a high priest, you know, and so. I just thought, wow, good grief! This is heaven on earth, <laughs> nice. you know, and uh, so we uh, we were we got uh, set apart to be members of this group called the uh, African American Public Relations Council, and it was church sanctioned, mm-hmm. and so we were set apart by our state president, <coughs> chaired by um, Sister Alma Bailey who was uh, an African-American Relief Society state president for the Relief Society. And so they decided, she decided that for their first event was because she had heard me and Wanda's story about the Black Panther Party, that we would speak. Hmm. Anyway, it was standing room only. It just, so that led to over, over 30 speaking engagements by me and my wife. Hmm. But there was a, person in that audience who did a um, teaching video with uh, Darius Gray, uh, Darius Gray co-authored uh, The Promised Land. Uh, I can't remember the name right now. I don't want to look back at my books, but they did a trilogy with Margaret White about Jane Manning James and some other uh, uh, um um,
1: Early Black Pioneers. Uh, yeah,
0: I, I can't grab the name right now. But anyway, this guy in the audience, his name was Marvin Perkins. And what we, we met for dinner one night. And when he talked about Black Saints, my wife and sister-in-law, they jaw-dropped. What? Black Saints? Well, to make a long story short, when we went, we got invited by um, uh, a group of uh, church members to conference in Salt Lake, and we decided that we would look for the graves of these black saints. And uh, one day, if I ever get up, meet with you again, you mm-hmm. need to have me tell you the complete story. Okay. But well, we found that they were buried amongst other saints, like David McKay,
2: mm.
0: uh, s- sister, uh, uh, oh God, anyway. The, the whites and blacks were all buried there together. Wow. wow. And they had sim- symbols or these little emblems on their uh, uh, gravestones that would uh, let you know that they were pioneers. Interesting. Of the church. And that exists right up the hill from the conference center.
1: Yeah, in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so. Uh, we started educating ourselves about black saints and uh, their participation in uh, the building of Elijah Abel was the name I was trying to think of. Do you know that Elijah Abel, he helped build the temple in Nauvoo and in Salt Lake. And he became Salt Lake's first uh, mortuary guy.
1: Oh, I did not know that about the mortuary part. I knew the other parts.
0: Well, uh, 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 Russell Stevens, who is uh, a historian on people of color in the church,
2: uh-huh.
0: he was their, um, the church's uh, go-to person when they were putting together the museum, that new museum that they have there in Salt Lake,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, at Temple Square. And uh, he also became a friend um, to me when, it, when I, start, I met him through my wife and sister-in-law when he was, uh, actually helping me with the book. And so we learned, I learned a lot. We, we learned a lot from him about blacks who participate in the church. Now the racism in the church caused both my wife and my sister-in-law at different times. my wife has been a member for over 43 years now, something like that. And my sister-in-law, maybe a year less. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it caused them to leave the church for a while, mm-hmm. you know, um, my sister-in-law was really happy about finding a husband and stuff like that, and it was a bishop who said something to the effect that you had to be around your own to do that <laughs> and then my my uh, my wife, I put this in the book. My wife said she was so excited about the church our both our daughters were baptized in the church, and her dad, her mom all they were all baptized the same day, but she also uh, introduced two of her aunties, two of her uncles, and so on. And mm-hmm. other people, she was really excited about this. And so the bishop s- told some story about watermelons on the truck, and they fell off the truck and said, oh, Lord, don't let them overtake me. You know, mm-hmm. and so, uh, uh, you know, different things like that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh... me personally... I have never had any, if I did, I didn't recognize it. But I'm going to tell you, us people from particular neighborhoods that are Black Americans, we can smell racism. Sure. We know what it tastes like. We know what it smells like. We don't have to see it to know it's there.
1: Yeah, it it does my heart uh, good to be able to hear um, the story of your life, uh, the example of your faith, and I know that that's something that bursts um, from the binding of the book, Panther to Priesthood, which Ed has authored. You can, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, um, be able to purchase it from Deseret Book. Link in the show notes. Uh, our conversation went all over the place, Ed, which I love about you, and I loved being able to visit with you. Uh, before I let you go, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the culture hall, and I must ask those of you right now. The first question is: is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it?
0: No, I've just been released from the bishopric.
1: Okay. Well, then get get at a calling, everybody. Let's do it. If the bishop <laughs> is listening, get him in there. Put him to work. Uh, the second one is if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick?
0: High council. Okay. I've been there before, and I really love the work. Yeah. Because I would go to all of the different wards, and then I got a chance to write missionaries while they were on their mission.
1: Oh, I love And I,
0: I love doing that.
1: That's great. I've never. I don't think I've ever had anyone answer that. Or if it have, or if they have, it's been a long time. Um, the third question that we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you would like, uh, but the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith?
0: The favorite part of my faith is the most challenging part—loving my fellow man. Because if I, I, you know, that's the part that I got to get right. I, I want to be accepted in the kingdom. I got to get that part right, and I can't honestly say that I've gotten that part right yet. So that's uh, that's that's my cross to bear.
2: Yeah,
0: you know, and and I, I and and it, it doesn't matter what color they are. Sure. One thing I need to say that the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has no racism in it. It's the people in the church. And we all go to church, folks, so we can get well, Mm -hmm. okay?
2: Mm -hmm. So no
0: matter what calling somebody holds in the church, they're not there because they've arrived, they're there because they need to find a way to get to the Lord.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I also, uh, one of the things I struggle with is people as well, and I just think, and tell me if you think the same way, Ed, that if people would just stop acting so stupid, It'd be easier to love them. Do you feel like that? Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: I just yeah, look at, I, I look it. at I look at some people and I'm just like, well, stop acting the fool and then you know, I'm good. If you'll yeah. just if you'll stop being like that, I got no problem with you. But you can't right. stop anyway. I digress. Uh, Ed, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall.
0: Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.